Amigos, and we're back. Feliz Navidad. To those of you who missed us, we took a little bit of a break, but we are now at it again because civility, especially in politics, does not and should not ever take a break. Welcome, my friends. This is Hot Mics from Left to Right. I'm your host, Maria Cardona. And I'm the other host, Alice Stewart, and uh, we appreciate you listening and and tuning in as we have these uh, civil conversations, respectful conversations on the issues. And we hope you all had a a great holiday and are gearing up for a a fun New Year's because uh, I think we all need a fresh start. We need need to turn the page on 2021 and the next year is going to be uh, even bigger and better. That's exactly right. And as usual on this podcast, we will be talking about the top political issues of the day. And we know that those never do take a break. So we'll be talking a little bit about President Joe Biden and his conversation with the governors on the COVID-19, on the testing. We're going to be talking a little bit about the changes in quarantine. We're going to be talking about Build Back Better, Alice, because believe it or not, it is still alive, even just if, it, if it's a little bit later, it's still going to be Build Back Better. And then we're also going to take a quick look at 2021. And we will ad- agree to disagree on <laughs> BBB, but we will talk about that. And yes, we would love to get your thoughts and feedback on uh, any ideas you might have for topics of conversation, p- possible guests. We'd love to have that. And just your feedback on our, our conversations. You can follow me on Twitter at Alice Tweet and Instagram Alice Stewart DC. And I can be reached on Twitter at Maria T. Cardona and on Instagram at Maria Cardona DC. And yes, amigos, please let us know your thoughts. We love to hear them. We will mention some of those comments on the air as well. But let's start with the conversation that President Biden had with the governors. I think that this is critical. And one of the things that really um, stood out to me, Alice, is that it was a tough conversation for President Biden to have. And And he essentially uh, admitted that the administration had not done as well as it should, that he was caught flat footed and that they needed to do much better and should have been much more prepared for the onslaught of this new variant, the Omicron variant, in terms of having enough testing. And I I think that this is something that the governors appreciated. Uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson, who I know is a good friend of yours, Alice, and he was on your radio show as you stood in um, for uh, Laura Coates's XM radio and would love for you to mention that as well to our listeners so they can tune in. But I think it was a really constructive conversation. And this is exactly what we need more of. A president that does not dig in and understands when they should have done better and is honest to the American people about that. And a, a Republican governor who's head of the National Governors Association, who appreciates the partnership with the federal government and also underscoring the, um, the, the importance of that partnership, but also always keeping the administration's feet to the fire. And that's so important. And a, a couple things. Uh, yeah, I spoke with uh, Governor Hutchinson yesterday, and he's uh, really been uh, tremendous with uh, helping Arkansas navigate through COVID and as well in his role as chair. 
chairman of the National Governors Association, uh, working with governors uh, in partnership uh, to get each state what they need. And one of the uh, things that he said right out of the gate was uh, President Biden yesterday that I thought was so important and spot on, and, and we addressed this, was uh, he expressed his appreciation to the administration for uh, depoliticizing COVID response and making sure that this is not a political issue, this is a health care issue, this is a pandemic, and we need to treat it as such, and we need to take the politics out of it. But he also uh, was very frank with regard to uh, the need to really uh, increase the supply chain and get these uh, treatments to people, get these tests to people, the rapid tests, and do all they can to uh, shorten the wait for people needing tests. But he brought up an interesting uh, aspect of this, is when he talked about all that the federal government is doing, he said it's important to make sure that the federal solutions um, do not get in the way of state solutions. And what he's referring to is when the, the federal government makes huge contracts with different people and uh, disseminates large numbers of tests uh, in a large fashion. Oftentimes, it has an impact on different states that needs them. So his stress was on making sure there's communication for states that need them more and um, allocating the, the necessary resources to the places and to the states that need it the most at that time. And this is why this conversation is so critical, because so Governor Hutchinson mentioned that, you know, the importance of the the states and the federal government not stepping on each other's toes. And then later you have a White House official saying and emphasizing that the federal government's test purchases would come from a combination of new manufacturers and additional production capacity so as to, quote, minimize disruption of existing production capacity of these tests, supply to retail or existing manufacturers commitments to the states. And so therefore the White House is hearing him and also agreeing that the additional stepping up of testing should not interfere with anything that is already going on and happening uh, with the states and the kinds of productions that, that they have ordered. And so, again, I think it, this has been a, a real demonstration of the constructive, not just conversation, but real partnership that, is, that exists between the states and, and the federal government that, that frankly needs to continue. And look, you had Biden, like I said before, uh, he was admitting, he said yesterday during the conversation, quote, it's clearly not enough. If we'd have known, we would have gone harder, quicker, Biden said. We have to do better and we will. And I think that's important to acknowledge when uh, whether it was mistakes were made or things have been uh, brought to light uh, as this virus progresses. And it's important to acknowledge where uh, you could have done things better. And, you know, the president has been quite frank about that. Uh, he is also uh, made it quite clear, um, whether you like it or not, he says that while this is uh, this Omicron virus, he says that it is a source of concern. It should not be a source of panic. And I think that's important to try and um, minimize the, the panic, but also address the seriousness of this. And uh, another important point that, that he made was uh, to these governors is if you need something, say something. Making sure that the governors don't just sit back and, and have a need without expressing it to the federal government. So uh, 
Look, there is a long way to go, and there were some uh, mistakes along the way, but the most important way to address a problem is to talk about the problem, and the fact that they had these conversations, I think, uh, is a good uh, first step. I think that's exactly right, and, and so important because I don't think anybody really expected to uh, have been in this situation, uh, you know, even a year ago. It's, I think, one of the reasons why the White House was caught a bit flat-footed. I think we all hoped, at least, and, and, and expected to have been almost clear of, of the virus by now. Uh, we now know that these variants are something that is real and probably something we're going to have to contend with um, for who knows how long in, in the future. Uh, so it is tough to really try to predict where we're going to be three months, six months, a year or two from now. I think the White House has learned their lesson. I think, sadly, the American people have also l learned our lesson that we really have to tread carefully. But in that, I also think these new guidelines that the um, CDC is putting out are both important, but I think are also a cautionary tale because I don't quite think they've gotten it right in terms of explaining it well to the American people. And and it's got to be so hard to do that. And they, they still have not come upon the right formula. Uh, you look at the CDC guidelines and they are super confusing. The the couple of things that I can sort of um, gather from the new guidelines is that, and, and you know, you let me know if you have gathered this too, Alice, but that for the most part, the Omicron virus variant of COVID-19 is one that is just, you know, raging through the unvaccinated community in this country. That doesn't mean that people who are vaccinated are um, clear and free from it. They aren't. They are catching it, but they are not getting super sick from it. They're not getting hospitalized and they are certainly not dying from it. Um, but it also does mean that they can still spread it. And so people that are not vaccinated are the ones that are most in danger, both of catching it and of also spreading it more widely. I think the important thing of what the guidance has come out is that the, um, the quarantine, uh, the number of days that you have to quarantine if you catch it, um, if you are asymptomatic, has uh, has been cut in half. I think it was 10 before, now it's five, which for people who are in business, um, they are celebrating this because clearly this has been such a detriment to our business community, to commerce, um, to our economy. And so again, this is gonna take some time to really get this right and for everyone to really understand what this means. But I think that this is um, a good sign that the country is starting to, sadly, um, trying to deal with this on a long-term basis. A couple of things on, on what you said. Uh, first, to the point of the, the new guidelines. You and I, having worked in communications, the most important thing you can do is not uh, to have mixed messages and have everyone on the same page when you're announcing an update or making an announcement on a policy. And oftentimes we have 
the White House saying one thing, Dr. Fauci saying something else, and the mixed messaging uh, on a lot of these policies is uh, part of the problem. Uh, the new guidelines, as you said, yes, uh, the uh, Center for Disease Control uh, has shortened the recommended times that people uh, should isolate when they're, they have tested positive from 10 days to five uh, if they don't have symptoms. And uh, they have also shortened the recommended time for people to quarantine that are exposed to the virus uh, from five days if they are vaccinated. And, and that's an important distinction. There are different, if you have tested positive, you isolate. If uh, you have been exposed, you are, um, you are quarantined. So it's important to note that distinction. And shortening this time from 10 days to five, as you said, is important for businesses We've seen a lot of airlines canceling hundreds and hundreds of flights because they don't have the staff. People are either exposed or in quarantine, and that's a that's a huge problem. But I will say this to button up this one topic. You know, so much attention and focus has been put on President Biden. And yes, we could not have predicted how this shaped up over the last two years. However, he did campaign on and he did promise the American people that we would put an end to COVID when he ran. And that being said, when you make those kind of promises, you are also acknowledging the fact that this is an unpredictable, unforeseen virus. So that's where I think he's getting a, a little bit more heat and more of the blowback or pushback because he said he was going to put an end to it. And we're still in a very serious situation when it comes to COVID. I think you're right. A lot of people are holding his feet to the fire on that. But I also think that people need to understand that for as much as he is the president of the United States and his administration have put out there all of the necessary tools to crush this virus, meaning the vaccines, the masking, the social distancing, all of it. The reason why we are not there, frankly, is because of the irresponsible behavior, mostly of Republican governors out there and people who have opposed vaccinations from the start, people who didn't believe that COVID was a big deal from the start, thanks to, in, in large part, to Donald Trump, um, who interestingly has now come out and, and, and is pushing vaccines <laughs> in a famous interview with um, right-wing, quote-unquote, journalist Candace Owens. Um, but it, the, the die has already been cast. So many of his supporters are not getting vaccinated, do not want to get the vaccine, are dug in, do not believe that COVID is real. Um, and frankly, Republican governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, Florida and Texas, are, are not helping. And so it, it, while you're right, this is something that Joe Biden campaigned on. I think that reasonable people understand that when you have opponents like DeSantis and Greg Abbott, who are, you know, dug in on not having any vaccine mandates, on not really pushing the vaccinations as they should, um, on trying to have it both ways in placating Donald Trump supporters and as well as, you know, saying, oh, no, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Uh, it, it's tough. It, it, it is tough. Uh, and where I think you can really see this, Alice, and I think that this is embarrassing from a global perspective, is that we are the least vaccinated developed country in the world. We are at a 61% vaccination rate. 
Brazil, who is a still a developing country, who has a president that e- it was even crazier, a crazier anti-vaxxer than even Donald Trump, has a population that is vaccinated at a higher rate than the United States. And so those are forces that are very difficult for any president to um, combat against. Um, and so I think those are just some of the realities that are in place for the, the, the big challenge that this administration faces. And just to follow up to uh, one of the comments you made, um, First of all, you know I love you, Maria, uh, and your comments Here about it, your, the comments about the Republican governors. Um, the last I checked, um, Andrew Cuomo uh, is a Democrat, and uh, they've New York State has had terrible COVID problems, and Gavin Newsom is a Democrat, and they have had terrible COVID numbers out in California. So it's. Democrat-led states as well, and and I think this goes back to the point of politicizing this pandemic, and just by doing a broad brush saying Republican-led states have a a bad problem, uh, it really ignores the fact you have uh, Democrat-led states that have serious COVID problems as well. I agree with you that that this should not be politicized, but sadly that has already been done by by Donald Trump and by these Republican governors. And while you say that, you know, California and New York have awful COVID problems, sure they do. They are also the most populated state. So if you look at the raw numbers, yes, they're going to have numbers that are higher in terms of cases for, for COVID than any other state. But it also remains a fact that red states, Republican-led states, are at a 50% higher um, danger of people dying from COVID because they are the least vaccinated states in the country. And so that, I think, tells you what the sad reality is. But having said all that, again, I agree that we we should not, even though I just did, by just, but what I said is actually truth in terms of numbers and where, where the numbers are. And, you know, sadly, I just came from Florida, you know, not too long ago. And Ron DeSantis continues to politicize this. And so by talking about how some governors continue to politicize this, we don't mean to politicize it. But it is just a, it's just a fact. And I wish more of those Republican governors were like Republican Governor H. Hutchinson, who understands the importance of not politicizing this and of leading with the actual solutions. We should have more of those. Uh, uh, I think we can all agree on that. Um, I want to go to another topic that's really been dominating the headlines and in my view, dead on arrival. You say it's still on life support, but uh, really the cornerstone or the signature policy of the Biden administration and Democrats is this Build Back Better, the transformational package that will overhaul uh, the economy, but this country, and it's uh, filled with a lot of a lot of good programs, but a lot of programs that I are not supported by the majority of people in this country. And we recently had uh, Joe Manchin, who is the moderate Democrat from West Virginia, who said uh, on Fox News that he is not going to uh, support Build Back Better, and that just took all the life out of it. Obviously, Democrats needed all 50 votes for this measure to pass, and 
Manchin said no. The trillions of dollars that would be spent on that are, he felt, would be harmful to our economy and add to inflation, and he says no. And and from that standpoint, uh, he got attacked by progressives and many Democrats saying that uh, he has changed the goalposts and changed his mind and moved the goalposts. He will never get to a yes. But um, the bottom line is that Build Back Better is virtually dead on arrival. I think Build Back Better will have a second life, or maybe we can call it a third and fourth life. Um, it's, it's like a cat. I think it's going to have nine lives. <laughs> but uh, I, I think in its current state, it's, it's not a reality. As you said, Joe Manchin is a no the way that it is right now. But as we know, legislation has a way of evolving, and I think that this will certainly evolve into something different. What that thing will be, I think still is, um, we still don't know. But as you said, there are so many programs in there that are wildly popular with the American people and for good reason. Look, when you talk about real policy, transformational items for the majority of the American people, like universal preschool, paid family leave, child nutrition assistance, Medicare and Medicaid expansion, even clean energy measures, which we all know are desperately needed. You look at all of these these crazy weather patterns are happening because climate change is not an, a, a danger of the future. It's it's a danger of now. And we have seen, you know, almost every single state in this union be ravaged by some kind of tragedy because of climate change. All of these things are necessary. They're not just necessary for progressives, as, as you uh, like to point out, Alice. These are necessary for the majority of the American people. Um, and, and I just find it hypocritical when Republicans who are all a no on this, every single Republican senator is a no on this, which is why Democrats have to find a way to all 50 senators work together to get to yes. Um, I just find it hypocritical when they were so giddy to say yes to trillions of dollars um, that would be added to the deficit and to our debt under under Donald Trump for a tax cut that went majorly to the rich people and corporations. And now they are calling foul about adding, you know, money to our nation's debt when it is relief to the majority of middle class families and and working class Americans. And that, I think, is going to be a major message of the Democrats going into the 2022 midterms. And I believe they're going to find a way to pull out some of these programs and put together a package that Joe Manchin can say yes to so that at least some relief will get to the people that need it the most. I think it's important to to remember that we've already spent trillions of dollars. Granted, the COVID relief funds were important and that was bipartisan support for that. We had the infrastructure package, uh, more money there. And now we're talking about another $1.7 trillion uh, of taxpayer dollars. And Joe Manchin just said, enough is enough. And and look, I like the proposal. If they like some of these plans in here, um, as Ben Cardin has suggested, Senator Ben Cardin suggested, let's break this up, find what we can get support on and agree on and pass those and do this in a piecemeal approach. And I think 
just like immigration, the comprehensive approach is not going to get the incremental change accomplished. And incremental change is better than zero change. So in my view, if there are bipartisan policies in this package that they can get both sides to agree on, let's agree on that and then break this up. And a lot of these maybe take them on the road and campaign on them, but it's not going to work as it is right now. Well, I believe that the country does need the comprehensive approach of the majority of the programs in this package. I agree with you. Look, you know, politics is the art of the possible. And right now we know that Manchin saying no to the current package makes it an impossibility. So let's get to the art of the possible. Let's do what you just said, Alice. Let's pull out some of these proposals that are wildly popular that all 50 Democratic senators like Maybe even we might be able to get some Republican senators on board. Lisa Murkowski, I'm looking at you. Susan Collins, I'm looking at you. Maybe some other common sense Republicans who understand that their constituents would greatly benefit by many of these programs. And maybe we can even get a slice of what I believe most Americans agree with. Maybe we can get some relief for the dreamers included in that. I know you agree with that. Um, and, and so this is why continuing to have these kinds of civil conversations is so important. It really is the only way to get to real solutions. Absolutely. And uh, again, find what you agree on and, and build from there. That will be something we will look forward to in 2022 to see if uh, they can make progress on that. But as we wrap up this last podcast of the year, we're going to take a look back in the year 2021. And we're going to kind of go through the um, just the highlights of the last year and, and what stories made headlines and jumped out um, at the American people. And I would imagine it goes without saying we're going to go chronologically, not necessarily which had the most impact, but chronologically in January 2021, of course, um, Joe Biden being swearing in, I think, was the, the most important and significant for the American people. But January 6th was, I think, a dark day in American history, the day that um, Americans uh, went to the Capitol to try and stop the certification of the election results and storm the Capitol and caused an insurrection. And that was a, a big news day, but uh, also I see that as a sad day for a peaceful transfer of power. I think that's right. And frankly, that's a day that um, it, it, it's hard to forget and we shouldn't. And we see that we are all kind of living it in the news every day as the select committee um, that Congress put together is still trying to figure out exactly what happened, who was behind it, who caused it, what caused it, uh, make sure that those folks are held accountable, even if that means you know, that this lands on the lap of Donald Trump. Many people believe that it does, and that is what this committee is getting to, um, so that we uh, understand how to make sure to avoid this in the future. So that was clearly the big, the second big thing that happened in August, or I'm sorry, in January, other than the inauguration of, of Joe Biden, but that has sort of 
colored everything that has happened this year. So moving on towards later in the year, uh, you know, lots of things obviously going on. In February and March, we saw the U.S. Uh, recommitting to join the Paris Climate Accords, putting climate change front and center, I think smartly so. Uh, and then, you know, as we move into April, we saw a big, big, big uh, happening, which was that a Minneapolis jury found former police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of the murder of George Floyd, and that was a game changer. It was, and, and it certainly uh, sparked a lot of tension leading up to that, uh, caused a lot of unrest in the nation leading up to that, but uh, the fact that um, the former police officer Chauvin was convicted of all charges, uh, I think uh, went a long way to reassuring people that uh, justice will be served in situations of, of police uh, brutality, and that was, I think, an important decision um, for the country. And moving on, I think this was an exciting year with regard to, um, I love space travel. Mm -hmm. And just the next month after that, in May, we saw the successful splashdown of the first operational space flight by Elon Musk's SpaceX, and those are always fun to watch. Those are so fun. And of course, they led to then the space race of the billionaires. I remember we did one of our topics of the podcast on that because then, of course, you had Jeff Bezos having to do it as well. Um, and then you had um, Sir Richard... Branson. <laughs> Thank you. Um, also, you know, can't be left behind. But but I think this was really important, Alice, because it did kind of put the focus back on what can be possible, right? I am, I am like you. I am just fascinated with space and, you know, the final frontier if you're like a Star Trek um, uh, fan, and I am. Uh, but, you know, th this really, I think, is something important for all of us to keep in mind because this is something that can unify the country. It, it also has to do with, frankly, you know, and I don't exaggerate when I say this, the future of humanity. Exactly. And, and it's, as you say, there's no telling where we will go from there. Uh, moving on throughout the year in June, a tragic story. Saw the, remember the partial collapse of a 12-story condo in Surfside, Florida. It, it was just chilling to watch that uh, killing 98 people. It's just uh, so sad. Uh, in July, we saw the 32nd Summer Olympic Games uh, to Tokyo after a year of being postponed. Uh, I love the Olympics, so it was uh, always fun to watch that. That was, and I'm, I'm glad that it happened, but it was also so surreal because you saw all of these amazing athletes doing their thing, but there was no one in the audience. Yeah. And so if you see the interviews with the athletes, they say that it was the strangest, strangest Olympics they had ever, um, uh, they had ever experienced and they hope to never experience it like that again. But I also remember, and I think this was critical, um, such a focus being put on the mental health of these athletes, which had never been an issue before. And I thought it was just an important moment in um, focusing not just on mental health for athletes, but mental health for, for, for people in general, which has been such taboo. And it was so important for these athletes, people who, you know, are, are heroes and, and icons to put such a, um, a light to, sign, to shine such an important light on, on an issue that is important for everyone. Absolutely. And uh, I think people 
don't realize uh, the impact COVID has had on our mental health, and it was important to draw attention to that. Uh, moving forward, uh, this was, I think, another huge story. Uh, in August, the withdrawal of the American troops from Afghanistan after a two-decade war that took the lives of over 2,400 people. Uh, President Biden uh, took a lot of heat for that. I, I do think that it could have been handled much better uh, in terms of uh, withdrawing uh, the, the troops and, and certainly American people over there and those people in Afghanistan who helped us during the war, getting them out safely before we made the announcement. Uh, and there was a lot of, of criticism uh, on Biden due to that. There certainly was a lot of criticism of the president on that, but I think that there was also a big um, focus on the fact that this president kept his word that he did what five former presidents couldn't do, which was bring us out of this 20 year war that had been such, that had sucked so much uh, life and treasure from our country and that frankly, the majority of the American people really wanted us out of there and, and he did it. We'll see how this reflects on him politically, um, but I think that is one of the, of the major takeaways. Uh, moving into September, we saw the Texas, the egregious, I believe, draconian, unnecessary Texas abortion ban um, go into effect and the Supreme Court doing nothing to block the law, which essentially says that um, you can, a woman cannot have an abortion after six weeks. And if anyone who knows anything about women knows that very few women know they're pregnant at that point. And so it's kind of an impossibility to um, to know that and to be able to take action. This is going to be a big issue, I believe, in the 2022 uh, election cycle. Um, but that's what we saw come down in in September. Uh, in October, um, brought welcome news about the first vaccine on malaria. I remember thinking that was a big, big deal. When I traveled, um, when I was uh, a deputy press secretary for the Department of Commerce and I traveled all over the world, I always remember so vividly having to get a malaria shot every single time I went to either Asia or Africa, especially. So I think this was a big, big deal, a huge health breakthrough which was, you know, I, I don't blame people for not remembering it since COVID is so front and center, but this was a big deal. Yeah, it was. And having gone to, to Africa a few years ago, I was freaked out about malaria. So yes, that is certainly big news. Uh, great, great, great story. In, in November, <laughs> uh, I have to say is in November, the Atlanta Braves won their fourth World Series, defeating the Houston Astros uh, four games to two. And being from Atlanta, being a big Braves fan, uh, I think that is one of the, the highlights of the year. And, you know, sadly, wrapping up the year on another natural disaster is in December. Tornadoes ripped through the South and Midwest, um, killing at least 91 people. And it was just a, a horrible tra tragedy for people in Kentucky. There was also storms in, in Arkansas. So uh, Mother Nature wreaking havoc in the country towards the end of the year. But um, as as we wrap up this year, I think, you know, it's a time we uh, count our blessings, uh, cherish our loved ones, and look forward to a, a better year ahead. That's exactly right. I remember this time 
Last year, Alice, we were so thrilled to be able to say goodbye to 2020. We had such high hopes for 2021. Uh, I think we're in the same position now. We are happy to say goodbye to 2021, and we have high hopes for 2022. We always have to have hope. It is the one thing that keeps us going. It is the one thing that, that can always be renewed every single day, no matter what. And I think what gives me hope, Alice, is that... We are still to this day doing this podcast, gaining listeners, gaining fans, and and hopefully we will do a lot more of that in 2022 as people agree with us that we have to make sure that we have these kinds of civil conversations, even with, I would say, especially with the people that we don't agree with. That's so important, Maria, having uh, civil conversations with those you disagree with is, uh, I think, imperative and as we wrap up this week as we do each week we have our meaningful moment and it's kind of an opportunity for maria and i to reflect on something that is uh, meaningful and impactful in these trying times and uh this week was a, a sad week as we know the the death of desmond tutu uh the most profound uh, archbishop uh of cape town south africa uh, his passing was was so tragic, but uh, he had such a, lo- a legacy in his life and certainly about grace. But along the lines of the, the tone of our uh, podcast, uh, I think a good quote from him uh, talks about this is if you are. If you want peace, you don't talk to your friends, you talk to your enemies. That is so profound, especially coming from someone who. I don't think the end of the apartheid and then Nelson Mandela's presidency could have happened without Bishop Tutu. And so he knew probably better than most how important it is to talk to those you don't agree with in order to find peaceful solutions. So so good for him. I also have a quote from him um, and and it's quite long, but I, I love it. And it's so inspiring. And it goes like this. Discovering more joy does not save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive. Yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than embitters. We have hardship without becoming hard. We have heartbreaks without becoming broken. That is awesome. And, and, and I think that that's the key is um, understanding in life. There's going to be difficult times, but you can't let it break you. And uh, for someone like him to, to recognize that and say that it's very, very impactful. And I think part of the secret of that, Alice, is fomenting incredibly important friendships. And I have to say your friendship has been one of the most important that I have forged um, in my personal life and in my political life. And it has been so enlightening because I have learned so much from you. I have learned to listen and even learned to perhaps reconsider some of my own positions. And that's not, you know, that that's a hard thing to do when you're in politics. Especially when you know everything like you do. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't uh, stress enough. I'm tearing up as you're saying that because your friendship is, is 
so meaningful to me and as well as, as your family. I just love you and all of them. And uh, I love our conversations. And uh, we would uh, appreciate your thoughts and feedback and uh, give us your ideas on uh, issues we can discuss. And I would love if you would like and share and follow our podcast. You can follow me on social media on Twitter at Alice Tweet and Instagram Alice Stewart DC. And I can be reached on Twitter at Maria T. Cardona and on Instagram at Maria Cardona DC. Amigos, thank you so much for listening. Muchas gracias. Happy New Year y feliz año nuevo. We will talk to you in 2022. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.